Amen. And good morning, everybody. Wasn't it great to sing Waymaker? Isn't that an awesome song? Yeah, it's really fantastic. Good job. Great spirit in this place this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest, my name is Greg. I'm the temporary preacher, okay? So the temporary preacher, the interim guy who has been working with the shepherds and with the search team here. And I want to call us to prayer this morning. The search team has done its work, and I think it was announced about two weeks ago that they... Uh, have made recommendations to the shepherds related to next steps. And so your shepherds have been extremely busy these last few weeks. They've been sorting a lot of information and praying and processing. And God is moving in some very powerful and some very profound ways. And so we are hoping and we are praying that uh, you'll be getting some really, really good news here uh, in the not too distant future. So as your shepherds continue a season of discernment, why don't we just pray this morning that God will bless them in this time, okay? Will you bow with me? Father, we're so grateful for the day. Here we sit on Palm Sunday, a day of great significance as King Jesus longs for this world to understand your purposes and your plans as he uh, came to this earth in your name so many years ago, but is still, Father, right here with us. And so, Father, thank you. We long for the reality of Easter Sunday to be an ever-present reality in our hearts and in our, our minds as we understand how phenomenally powerful you are and what that means to us as followers of Jesus. Father, we take a few moments this morning and we just pause and we ask that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would pour out wisdom and discernment upon the shepherds of this church. Father, be with them as they pray and process, as they engage in conversation, as they think about the future, as they see where you are leading and choose to fall into step with that. Father, we like good news and uh, we are hopeful that uh, we will hear uh, some related to this church's future uh, in the very, very near future. Between now and then, Lord, would you please burden us with a heart for prayer, Father, that not a single day will go by that we are not lifting the Cinco Ranch Church up to you, all for your honor and all for your glory. In Jesus we pray, amen. I used to really like to hear a good lawyer joke every once in a while until my son became a lawyer. And then I didn't really think they were all that funny anymore. My son Riley worked for a while for the uh, district attorney's office in Tulsa County, Oklahoma. He has some fascinating stories that he has shared with me uh, about some of the interesting people that he's met in that particular line of work. And one of the most intriguing characters that he met was an individual who just went from being, um, what's the word, accused to being convicted, right? 
you're, you're accused until judgment is actually passed down and then you either are found innocent or you're found guilty. And so this individual was found guilty. Well, when the pronouncement was made, he leapt from the defense table and rushed the prosecutor table. He grabs the table and flips it over. He knocked our son down. Riley hit his head on the back of the uh, little railing there, you know, that, that very safe railing that separates you, you know, from the uh, people in the, in the courtroom. Uh, and also did actually kind of hurt the, the lead attorney a little bit, little bit more, but he was fine. He was able to, to move on. So um, about four weeks later when Riley told us he was changing jobs, we were like, yes. Yes, that's good. He's still an attorney at law, but he's practicing uh, civil law now, which I hope is going to actually be more civil, right? So it didn't turn out too well in the courtroom that day. Well, we are going to move this morning in the text to a different kind of courtroom, but with a lot of similar kind of emotions in the air. It could go either way. How is the king, in this case, in Nehemiah chapter 2, going to respond when Nehemiah brings a request to the king? It could be life or death. It could go sideways very quickly. But God tells an amazing story through his servant, Nehemiah, that I hope is not just going to be a history lesson today, but will be one of those messages that will touch your heart and encourage you as a disciple of Jesus to walk more closely with him as we trust God to deliver us from the various situations that we encounter. So we're going to jump right in this morning into Nehemiah chapter 2. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and take it out, open it to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to start right there in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at one on your app or follow along with somebody who's got one. I'll also have the words on screen here as well. Nehemiah 2. Verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Remember, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. He's the one who brings the wine and most likely tastes it to make sure nobody has poisoned it, right, so that it will not uh, kill the king. Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah says, and this is a really powerful phrase, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me and so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters 
to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. And so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. That's our text for the morning. Now, last Sunday, we noted at one time that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah formed one book. And even though the temple had been restored through the leadership of Zerubbabel, do you remember him? We mentioned him last week. So the uh, temple had been restored through his leadership, and the people are finding community once again, an identity once again through the work of Ezra. The walls of Jerusalem are still in ruins. Remember, Jerusalem was destroyed, the people were taken into captivity, and now many of them are beginning to migrate back. So four months have passed since Nehemiah heard this news about the destruction of the city walls. He is distraught, but he's not overcome. And why is that? Let's revisit the text and dig a little bit deeper and see if we can find out why. So back to chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart And I was very much afraid. Now, there's something here that I want to um, to explore just a little bit with you. As we talked about last Sunday, Nehemiah is prayed up. He has spent days, weeks now, the text tells us, praying. And there's something here I think that's really, really important for us to understand when we think about our own personal prayer lives. And it's this, feeling better is not the most important outcome of prayer. As a matter of fact, sometimes when you pray, you may even feel worse. Can I get an oh yeah? You may be even more convicted of something that needs to change in your life. Your heart may be even more tender when it comes to a situation that you know someone else is facing or, or a, a trial that someone is going through. I don't really know what's happening, but a lot of times I've actually heard people say, well, just pray about it and you'll feel better. Okay, that may happen. <laughs> you may pray about things and you may indeed feel better. But Nehemiah, who walks very, very closely with God, prays about it, not just for a few minutes or even a few hours, but for several weeks. And we find out here that he is very much afraid. 
So sometimes, it's always, always right to pray, but sometimes we may not necessarily feel better or find our minds in a better place as we wrestle with God in prayer. Certainly not the case here. However, it's not the end of the story, and it's not the only point in the text. The description of wine being placed before the king indicates that there is probably some kind of a festival going on. Now, the Persian kings loved to party, okay? They loved festivals. We read about that. If you go back and look in the book of Esther, chapter 1, they love festivals. Um, Artaxerxes here, he is in a pretty good mood. Maybe we could even go so far as to say he's in a, in a party mood. But here's Nehemiah, all gloom and doom. He's just really, really sad. He's really down. Uh, I actually love the way the literal Hebrew um, is, is spelled out in the text. This is literally what it says. Why is your face so bad? That's the question that Artaxerxes asks Nehemiah. Why is your face so bad? Parents, maybe not a good way to ask your kids when they're not feeling too good, but, but kind of a fun question to ask nonetheless. Here's actually another way to translate the question that the king asks. Why are you so depressed? And there's a party going on. Everybody, including the cupbearer, should be enjoying themselves. But Artaxerxes is asking, what's the deal, Nehemiah? Why, why are you so down? Now, the king doesn't wait for Nehemiah to respond, nor does Nehemiah immediately jump in with a quick answer. The, the king seems to be concerned, but based on Nehemiah's response, he may be angry. Or his tone may be sarcastic. We really don't know for sure. But, but regardless, the king asks, are you unwell? Followed up with, are you unhappy about something? And what is Nehemiah's response? I was very much afraid. Literally, the Hebrew says, a terrible fear came over me. Now, I have a question for you this morning. How often might we find ourselves in a similar situation? It's highly unlikely that most of us will be in a life or death situation when we are professing our faith, but we most certainly may be in situations where we're facing ridicule or put down, cultural bias. We might even lose income. We might face a lawsuit simply by practicing our faith. If you remember Jesus' words to the faithful, in the Sermon on the Mount, one thing you will recall is that followers of Jesus Christ are promised persecution. Do you remember that? Remember that teaching? We will be persecuted. The world hates 
that which it does not understand. The world hates that which it doesn't understand. And there are a lot of people in this world who don't fully understand the love of God. Who don't understand the sacrifice of Jesus. Who don't understand the power of God's Holy Spirit. But praise God, there are also a lot of people in this world who do. And they're called disciples of Jesus Christ. Those same disciples, as wonderful as it is, as joyous as it is, as great as it is to be his disciple, we must be people who also expect persecution because it is going to happen. Chip Ingram writes in a book entitled Holy Ambition, Radical Faith is choosing to step out to fulfill God's clearly defined will at possible great personal risk and sacrifice. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does here. But the story doesn't stop. The text tells us, I said to the king, this is Nehemiah talking, he says, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? This at least when I look at the text, I always try to find those things that just kind of leap off the page at me. And one of those things here, it's, I call it Nehemiah chapter two, lesson two. And it's this. Prayer might not change the situations that we face, but prayer prepares us to face any situation. Can I get an Amen. Sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and the situation just doesn't change very much. Sometimes things may even get worse. But the more we pray, I believe, the more prepared we are. And I think Nehemiah models this in this text. He's not exactly sure how the outcome is going to play out, but that doesn't stop him from praying and praying and praying. As a result of those prayers, I think, as a result of those prayers, the king responds and he actually says then to Nehemiah, what is it you want? And then I want you to notice what Nehemiah does again, immediately. Immediately, he just, he, he, he stops even in the middle of this conversation, he stops and, and the text tells us, then I prayed to the God of heaven, which I think reveals lesson three from this text. And that is for believers, there are always two conversations going on at the same time. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. The implications of this reality, that there are always two conversations going on at the same time, those implications are absolutely profound. As a believer who has received the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, church, please, please hear what I'm about to say. As a believer who has received the indwelling Spirit of God himself, you are never, ever, ever alone. You will never find yourself by yourself. 
even when you're in conversation with other people. There's this side conversation that we can be having with the Lord. Nehemiah models beautifully for us that which we can practice as believers in all situations. When talking to others, I am also talking to God. And that prepares my head and my heart in ways that have the potential to to fully align our destinies with God's desired outcomes. Imagine that in every conversation, in every major decision, in every life moment, imagine God is always with you. And here's the deal. When you call out to God, you will never get a busy signal. And I realize that everybody under 30 is asking, what is a busy signal, okay? (laughs) Turn to your parents or your grandparents and they'll tell you what that is. The text continues, chapter two, verse five. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Here's Nehemiah chapter two, lesson four. Conversations with God radically change our conversations with others. Amen. I was visiting with a a preaching friend of mine recently, and apparently this story had been around a long, long time, but I had never heard it. Maybe you have. Uh, But he was sharing a story with me from uh, Sir Ken Robinson. It was a little girl who was in a drawing lesson, and, and she always, she just hardly ever paid attention. And the teacher had the hardest time getting her to focus. And, uh, you know, she was about six years old. She's sitting in the back of the class. She's just drawing away, drawing away. And the teacher, um, she's fascinated. So she goes over to this little girl and she says, well, what are you drawing? And, and the little girl says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, but sweetie, nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, they will in a minute. Okay, so I, I love that story. I love that story. When we pray, when we pray, God begins working on the canvas of our hearts. A picture of him begins to emerge through us. And over time, it becomes clearly visible to others. And church in a world that is filled with quick fixes and where so much of what we do is just driven by shallow emotional responses, People who are diving into the deepest recesses of prayer are revealing to the world the true nature of God, his true nature. Hopefully, prayerfully to a world that so desperately doesn't just need to see what God looks like, but to understand how much he truly, truly loves us. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? When will you be back? And it pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. And I also said to him, and I I love here how Nehemiah just kind of (laughs) incrementally asks for a little bit more, steps out, gets gets a little bit bolder as the conversation continues. May I have letters? to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me 
September. The text tells us, and because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. And so Nehemiah leaves. He starts his journey. He goes to the governors of Trans-Euphrates. He gives them the king's letters. And, and he's enjoying protection as he travels from the king's cavalry and other army officers. And that brings me to our fifth lesson. I believe with all of my heart that being all in prepares us to go all out for God. And Nehemiah is all in here. He literally, and we have to keep this in mind, he literally lays his life on the line. This is not like going to your next door neighbor and asking if you can borrow some sugar, right? This is, this is going before a king who holds the power of life and death in his hands. But Nehemiah is all in. And as a result, we see him here capturing this, this, these early stages of a vision to go back and restore that which had been taken away, that which had been torn down. And what happens when we choose to go all out for God? There are very few guarantees that I can make in this life, probably a handful. But here's one thing I know for sure. When you choose to be all in for God, which leads to going all out for God, I can make this guarantee. There will be naysayers who Satan will use to try to come after you and derail you from your faith. I'm not sure what that will look like. I don't exactly know what it will sound like. But when you choose to start living for the Lord, there are going to be voices who are going to try to derail you from that pursuit. We see even in this story, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, and we'll talk more about them in coming weeks, but when they heard about what was going on, they were disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelite. And that leads us to our final lesson from this text of the morning church. There are lots of opposers, but there's only one God. There's lots of people who oppose the message of the Lord, but there is only one God. You and I may never stand in the court of a king who holds the power of life and death in his hands. However, every single day, we stand in the court of public opinion. In some ways, that may be just as difficult. That's the court where Nehemiah found himself. And I want you to hear this. This is true no matter your age. You, you may be 10 years old and you may be spending the night with a friend who wants you to watch something. Your mom and dad, you know that they don't want you to watch. And even at the age of 10, prayer is incredibly important. It can give you the courage to say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not for me God can give you the courage to call or text your parents and ask them to come get you. And what do you think your mom and dad are going to say? I can't believe you asked me to come get you. Uh, you know, you, you, you should have just watched it. Well, of course not. Of course not. Your mom and dad are going to be thrilled that you trusted God and that you trusted them to make the right decision, even at the age of 10. 
You may be a teenager. And you're in a situation when your friends are making fun of you for being a Christian. But remember, God is always with you. You're never alone. And here's something you may not realize. Sometimes it's hard for us to see this when we're a little bit younger. But I found this to be true more often than not. And that is your friends are actually much more likely to respect you if you stand up for what you believe in. You may be in college and you're facing the first time professors, possibly fellow students, who mock Christianity. Stand your ground. You're never alone. You may be in a job where the boss is pressuring you to hide or shift the figures a little bit. You may be in a marriage that Satan is trying to destroy. You may be a social media-aholic and you're struggling to balance your on-screen time with face-to-face relationships. I want you to hear me. No matter the court that you find yourself in, God is right there. All the time. Every time. Asking you to trust. Asking you to believe. Asking you to walk in his will. And one of the, possibly the the most profound fuel of the fire of Nehemiah's faith is prayer. And he, as I said earlier, he's prayed up well before he gets into this court. Why is that? Why is it important that we remain prayed up before we even get to those times of being in those situations that I just described? Well, I love this quote from Richard Foster, one of my favorite authors. He writes, prayer frees us to be controlled by God. To pray is to change. There is no greater liberating force in the Christian life than prayer. To enter the gaze of the holy is never to be the same. To bathe in the light and quiet wonder and glad surrender is to be slowly, permanently transformed. There is a richer inward orientation, a deep hunger for communion. We feel as if we are being taken over by a new control center, and so we are. Prayer makes all the difference for Nehemiah, and prayer can make all the difference for us. Amen. You may think, but I'm not very good at it not very good at it. What is the best way to get good at something? Tell me. Practice. The best way to get good at something is to practice. 
And so, if you're not all that good at prayer, start with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Literally, just start praying that scripture to God. Begin with Psalm 23. Just read it. Read it as a prayer to God. Look at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. The more you practice, the stronger you become, spiritually speaking. And in these times, if we ever needed anything, Surely, we need people who are as dedicated to prayer as was Nehemiah. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and I am super excited to share that time of celebration and reflection and worship with you. Between now and then, I encourage you as a congregation and individually, remember who you are and remember whose you are. And hopefully the message that we've shared today will assist you in doing just that. If there's any request that you have of this community of faith today, we're going to ask you if you will please to either make your way to the front and someone will uh, share um, prayer uh, and conversation with you there. Or uh, I'm going to make my way back to the lobby and I'm happy to meet you out there. Church, let's stand together. Let's sing together.